George Bernard Shaw once said, beware of false knowledge. It's more dangerous than ignorance. Well, one prominent professor of psychology said the trouble with ignorance is that it feels so much like expertise, concluding that we humans can be confident idiots. The internet has given us a broad but often shallow source of unvetted information that can easily give one a false sense of confidence or a complete lack thereof. So if truly loving our kids involves protecting them and properly educating them with vetted content, shouldn't we do our part to keep them from becoming confident idiots themselves? Uh, let's come up with a plan. That's next on Licensed to Parent. Well, hello once again, and welcome to Licensed to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherds Hill Academy, a year-long Christ-centered therapeutic residential program for teens in crisis and, by extension, for their families. Our host is Trace Embry, the founder and director of Shepherds Hill, and I'm Rich Rosel. Uh, Trace, a lot of people would ask how parents and their kids can actually love one another when it seems that uh, so many kids and parents alike have almost an illicit love affair with these little plastic pocket idols that we call smartphones, mm -hmm. love affairs that, you know, I'd say seem to transcend their love and concern for each other. How, how would you respond to that? Well, Rich, I think deep down kids, you know, they love their parents as much, maybe more than they ever did. Uh, and parents love their kids the same way. But that love has certainly manifested itself in, in, in a much different way in recent times. And I think this is largely because... These days, many of us have now defined love with the devil's dictionary, and uh, we don't have time to, to, to get into all that, uh, only to say that the sacrificial component to love has been diminished, and you know, the English language has one word for love, and that's love, and you, you go to Greek or other languages, there's uh, different words for, you know, uh, different types of love sure. in the Greek, storge, eros, phileo, agape, and all of but, and, and there may be more, but those are the four I'm familiar with, but you, you, you've heard that old saying, we always hurt the ones we love. I think there's some truth to that, and, I, and I, I'm not sure true love can even exist without at least the potential for it to hurt. And hurt often begins with either loss or temptation. Uh, but digital technology has now made temptation a 24-7 systemic problem for today's kids uh, because smartphones have uh, positioned them right in the thick of everything, every waking hour. And these temptations are, are, are largely to things that are highly addictive by nature. Video games, YouTube videos, social media, as you mentioned, pornography, and on and on. Uh, no generation of kids in all of human history has ever had to deal with this degree of temptation 24-7, no less. Uh, very few of us could ever be tempted or ad addicted to kill or rape or pillage. But, you know, those things are reserved for psychopaths. But, but let's point out, not only are the temptations appearing, but also just the very presence of of seeing, reading, hearing about these things mm -hmm. is desensitizing us to to these activities at all. So, so we may be drawn to them, but at the same time, we no longer care. No, right, exactly. But, you know, video games and uh, YouTube and, and on and on, uh, these things can trip up anybody, especially a kid. And, and this is especially true when we're naive enough or ill-informed enough, apathetic enough or crazy enough as parents to, to give our kids unencumbered access to their own unlimited global communication and information access. My gosh, world leaders never had that kind of power. And we're giving it to kids, lots of kids. You know, and the key word is uncovered. We're giving our underage loved ones this kind of access to their own highly addictive adult toys. 
I think we're, we're so busy, preoccupied, and now addicted ourselves that we just never really thought this through. Mm. Uh, it, it's like uh, we're our own kids' drug dealers. Uh, yeah, we love them, but then we, you know, we give them a device that tempts them into addiction almost instantly. I, I liken this love and temptation thing to what we see in a lot of drug addicts. Uh, their their addiction gives the outward impression that they might actually love their drugs more than their own families because, you know, they just too often prioritize their, their time and energy with their drug of choice over yeah. being with their loved ones. Uh, in the case of sexual temptation or, or even addiction, there's a, a ton of people who love their wives and husbands deeply, but they cheat on them anyway. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm not at all saying that's right. Uh, it's still wrong. And some will say, well, you know, they, they can't truly really love their spouse if they cheat on them. But let me ask you this, Rich. Assuming you love yourself, have you ever done or uh, not done something that you know is ultimately harming yourself? I mean, You're looking at my large Diet Coke that I have <laughs> exactly. sitting there. Exactly. Yes. Well, King David, you know, King David sure did. I mean, we, we, I'm not saying that this kind of love is a healthy love or, or sacrificial or that it's Holy Spirit inspired or anything like that, especially when we're hurting someone we claim uh, you know, to, to love in the process. But I, I think there's an argument to be made that love does have the potential anyway to hurt. And sometimes we really do hurt the ones we love most, especially when there's addiction in the equation. And all this mm -hmm. hurt can happen even in the, in the midst of all good intentions. Well, it's, it's like when loving parents give their kids, as we said at the start, unencumbered access and to that smartphones. Would, <laughs> that would be my argument. I'm sticking to that. Well, I'm, I think today's guest might uh, agree with your argument and probably would stick with it also. We've uh, asked Dr. Nicholas Cardaris to join us once again in this conversation. Dr. Cardaris, or Dr. K, is a psychologist, a best-selling author, an internationally renowned speaker, professor, and an expert on mental health addiction and the impacts of our digital age. He's also developed clinical treatment programs all over the country and is the founder and chief clinical officer of Maui Recovery in Hawaii, Omega Recovery in Austin, Texas, and The Launch House in New York. Uh, his books include Glow Kids, which was published in 2016, and How Plato and Pythagoras Can Save Your Life, published in 2011. Dr. Carderis is a frequent contributor to Psychology Today and Fox News. He's appeared on the CBS Evening News, NPR, Good Day New York, and, of course, he's a repeat offender right here on Licensed to Parent. Uh, in his clinical work with adolescents, uh, Dr. Carderis has worked with over 1,000 teens in the last 15 or so years and discovered that many were suffering from genuine psychiatric disorders such as anxiety, depression, and even psychosis-like symptoms as a result of their on-screen dependence. So this is why we brought him onto the program. Dr. Carderis lives with his wife and his twin sons in Sag Harbor, New York, and it's good to welcome him back. Yeah, Dr. Carderis, welcome back to Licensed to Parent. Always a pleasure to have you on with us. Oh, thank you both. It's, it's always great to be on your show. I really appreciate the work that Shepherd's Hill does, and it's, 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 it's an honor. Thank you. Well, honor's all ours. Listen, uh, should today's uh, parents have any concern that their kids could possibly grow up to be confident idiots? <laughs> you know, it, it, it's so great. The, your introduction that you gave was so spot on because so often we confuse information for wisdom. Mm -hmm. and, and unfortunately, in the information age, we are the far from the wise age. Yeah. And we're lost in this information overload, and what's happening is it's, we're dumbing down. Unfortunately, we're cognitively dampening down uh, the generation of young people that we claim to love so much. We're misguidedly, and you put it perfectly, because we're distracted and addicted to our own devices. We've been asleep at the switch with 
giving our children harmful devices that are really adversely impacting their humanity, their neurological development, their social development, their spiritual development. And that's all because we've been so smitten, so in love uh, by, by our own shiny gadget. And, you know, I think we're going to look back upon this period sort of uh, back when they kind of thought smoking was hey, not so bad for you. you know, back in the days when uh, I remember I was just watching recently, uh, somebody was highlighting this point, too, that they used to show cigarette ads for athletes. You know, it was a big thing that, you know, Babe Ruth did cigarette ads because yeah. if you want to be a good athlete, you should be a smoker. And um, it's kind of a similar bait and switch. But, but I, I did want to add one thing that I think you guys really nailed when, in your introduction about this idea that addicts and loving the people that, that are their families or the people that are close to them. Because I do also work with substance addiction. And there's this idea that because you're addicted, you know, oftentimes the family of, of addicts don't feel that, they feel that the person struggling with addiction is making a choice of the addictive behavior of the substance over their families. And we know that that's not true. We know that you can love someone and love your family, but the compulsion, the compulsion for the addictive behavior hijacks rational thinking and it just overwhelms that person's uh, actions in a way that looks like a choice, but very often it's not. Sure. And, and, and that's what's happening where, where we have young kids and adults who are making poor choices that look like they don't love the people that are closest to them, but it's usually not that. It's usually this other unfortunate byproduct of addiction, of, of impulsive and compulsive behavior. And parents seem to be blinded to the idea that uh, addiction and tech use could possibly be used in the same sentence. Uh, why are so many parents refusing to, uh, to come to terms with this? I think it's two things. If you look at it, people of a certain age, I'm of a certain age, um, number one, we conflated modern technology with television. So a lot of us that were raised on television felt that television was fairly innocuous, even though there was some research back in the day about the adverse impacts of too much television. But for the most part, we thought, well, television is just a new medium. And we didn't think, we, we essentially started looking at smartphones and tablets as smaller televisions without really fully appreciating that they were much, much, much more powerful because of their immersive and interactive aspects. Right. So, so they have a much more profound neurological and psychological impact than good old television with the rabbit ears of, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago. All so, four so channels. That one, well, I was going to say that was one part of it. The other part of it seems to be our, in this helicopter parenting generation, this, this profound inability for parents or, or, or discomfort of parents to allow their children to be bored. Yeah. For some reason, boredom seems to be a four-letter word. And, 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 and we know developmentally one of the best things that a parent can do for their child is to allow them to be bored because then that forces them to develop their imagination and to be more resourceful. And, and yet we're doing the opposite. Right, right. Well, let me ask you this. Did TV lay the platform for these Gen Xers and baby boomers to be positioned to think that boredom may be the impardonable sin. I remember as a kid, we come in from wherever we were at as a family, the first thing you did was flip on the TV. 
whether yeah. you watched it or not. And so I, I'm just wondering if that may have been the springboard to being okay with taking TVs on your hip pocket, but interactive, as you said. Is there any merit to that? Oh, 100%. Uh, Neil Postman was an NYU professor so back in 1985 with the book Amusing Ourselves to Death. Mm-hmm. And this was when TV was back in its Dallas and uh, Magnum P.I. days. And he started analogizing television to digital soma from Brave New World. Mm-hmm. It was the sedative of our culture. And not only is it a sedative, but it's a stimulant. Paradoxically, uh, visual and digital media act as both a stimulant because they raise dopamine levels, but they also act as a hypnotic in, in the fact that they, mm-hmm. they do calm the child down. You know, any of us who have children know that if you drop a child in front of a screen, they'll get quiet. Yeah. They'll be they'll be sedated. But so and will a joint. So, so will a joint. <laughs> so exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I do think that television sort of primed us culturally that a screen can be yeah. uh, this thing. You know, it can quiet the children. And then what I think happened is that the tech industry uh, hijacked the narrative of that screens can be educational. You know, from baby oh, Einstein yep. to you know to digital world. And that was totally without merit, without research, without evidence, but it became a marketing ploy that if you want your, your child to be smarter, drop them in front of a TV set. And it was just the opposite. Right. Where we know that kids that are screen-free have higher educational outcomes, better educational outcomes. Yep. So if you put a child that's two years old in an immersive tablet world, you know, I was just at a restaurant the other day, and it was just sickening. There was a six-month-old in the stroller and this kid was in a bubble. He had a headset and a screen, and he had the large uh, earphones. He had the, the old school <laughs> headset on. Mm-hmm. And this child was in a cocoon of his own little world. Unbelievable. When the best thing that child could be doing is looking around, right. forming connections. Knocking uh, stuff off the table. I, <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, so, 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 but what we're doing, and I, and I want to be really clear about this, is those kids that are high screen kids at too young of an age, we're priming them for impulsivity. That's one of the biggest harmful things that we're doing right now. Even the American Academy of Pediatrics would say, not, not even Sesame Street, Baby Einstein, none of that stuff before two years old. We're just talking on TV, and, and now you see these little two-year-olds in their, in their booster chairs in restaurants operating uh, you know, these little tablets. I'm like, you yeah. can't be serious here. If you've just tuned in, our guest on today's Licensed to Parent is Dr. Nicholas Carderas. He's the Chief Clinical Officer of Maui Recovery in Hawaii, Omega Recovery in Austin, Texas, and The Launch House in New York. He's author of several books, including Glow Kids and How Plato and Pythagoras Can Save Your Life. Uh, you can learn more about his work at drcardaris.com. You'll find his books wherever you find your books. We have to take a quick break, but we'll be right back with more conversation with Dr. Nicholas Cardaris as Licensed to Parent continues. In today's digital age, there's more access than ever to digital devices. With technology constantly evolving to make our lives easier, is it any wonder that many feel as though they just can't live without it? Digital addiction can be just as chemically debilitating as drugs. Time in front of a screen can drastically affect the life of your child. For starters, your child may choose technology over simple things like playing outside and engaging in exercise, acquiring a job and gaining life experience. 
To learn more about how digital addiction can affect your child, visit HelpMyTroubledTeen.org, click on Resources, and look for the article, What is Digital Addiction? Parenting isn't easy. Shepherds Hill Academy wants to equip you with resources for all areas and issues of life. Discover a variety of ebooks, podcasts, links, and more to help you navigate the parenting landscape. Help by TroubledTeen.org. Is your teen's behavior dangerous? Your child's behavior may seem incredibly volatile during the teenage years. Sometimes the signs and symptoms come and go quickly as your child is growing, but other times behaviors are developed and nurtured that will lead to unhealthy choices. Here are a few items to consider. Does your teen refuse to abide by anything you say or request? Is your teen displaying behavior that's a marked change from what has been normal? Has your teen become increasingly disrespectful, dishonest, and disobedient, and openly rebellious? Go to HelpMyTroubledTeen.org and take the quiz, Is My Teen Troubled? While some behavioral issues are minor and best resolved at home, there are warning signs that your teen may need a more structured approach to get them on a healthy, constructive path. And Shepherds Hill Academy is here to help. Visit HelpMyTroubledTeen.org and click on Is My Teen Troubled? HelpMyTroubledTeen.org. Welcome back to Licensed to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherds Hill Academy. A reminder, you can find us and all of our past conversations on the Licensed to Parent program on our website, licensedtoparent.org. Today, though, we're talking with Dr. Nicholas Cardaris, a chief clinical officer at Maui Recovery in Hawaii, Omega Recovery in Austin, Texas, and the Launch House in New York. He's author of the books Glow Kids and How Plato and Pythagoras Can Save Your Life. And uh, we're talking about the addictive nature of uh, too much digital access, I guess, uh, too much screen time. Trace, we were talking during the break, though. You were saying that that you've been accused by folks of only seeing the worst situations yeah. in kids who've gone through this. But um, you still have seen the worst. To know yeah. How it can go. Uh, Dr. Carderas, how, how do you respond to people who say, uh, you know, you guys are always seeing the worst case scenario, so, you know, you're just alarmist. Uh, the majority <laughs> of kids are doing just fine. Uh, how do you answer people like that? Right. So, so we know that some kids are more vulnerable to have more severe impacts to screen time. Screen time is an accelerant to uh, certain adverse clinical effects. So the kids that have some predispositions towards those vulnerabilities are going to be more affected. But I can tell you that every kid across the spectrum, if they're on screens for too much, it's adversely impacting their socialization, their, their cognitive development, their clinical development. Uh, kids are, here, here's the snapshot. This is the most unwell psychiatrically cohort of young people that we've ever seen. Yeah. We have the highest rates of anxiety, the highest rates of addiction, the highest rates of suicide. Suicidality in the digital age has doubled amongst young people in the last 10 years. Um, highest addiction rates, highest overdose rates. So yeah. by all metrics, the, the whole cohort of young people are not well. But I've worked with valedictorians in our program in Hawaii a few months ago. We had a medical student, a 19-year-old. So not 19, he was 22, 22-year-old first-year medical student um, who had a screen time issue. Uh, bright guy, medical school, obviously functioning fairly well, but he had crossed that line of where now it was he couldn't stop. He couldn't stop. 
So it's a little bit of Russian roulette because we've seen some kids raised in wonderful families that seem to have healthy profiles, and they fall down the rabbit hole. So just like in any other addiction, you know, you can't always predict who's going to cross that line from recreational drinking to alcoholism. Uh, it's similar with screen time. Well, you know, you always have these, uh, for lack of a way to say this, I don't mean anything negative about it necessarily, but uh, the freak shows. Uh, you look at uh, guys like Bill Maher, uh, guys mm-hmm. like uh, Joe Rogan, who are popular with, the, with, with kids and a lot of influence, and these guys will smoke dope, you know, with Elon Musk, right, on, you know, during a, a podcast. And, and it's like these guys have, you know, million-dollar careers, and, and they, they're still articulate, and, they're, and they look physically healthy and the whole nine yards. But they're kind of anomalies because I think one of the, the, the worst testimonies uh, could be guys like this because everyone, the, the rest of the population said, well, we, then I can do that. And that's just exactly. not—it's just not the case. But um, you know, every kid gets a psych eval uh, before coming to Shepherd's Hill Academy. But if every kid in today's public school system were to be evaluated, I'm just curious: what percentage do you think would qualify for a diagnosis today? A diagnosis of any kind? Of any kind? Time? Of any kind? Oh, easily the vast majority. Easily the vast majority <laughs> can have some level of depression, some level of anxiety, some level of you know, to varying intensity. But I would I. And I did school district work for 10 years in New York. I could tell you my best guesstimate would be 70% would no, easily be no, diagnosable. I, listen, that's not out of the question. Uh, there's a, a popular psychologist, uh, I'm not familiar with him, but he's never been on a broadcast, uh, Robert Leahy. I don't know if you're familiar with him. But he, mm-hmm. he, he made the statement that today's uh, teens are dealing with the same degree of anxiety as the average psych patient in the 1950s. And, and so, you know, when, when you think about the locker room talk and the, the antics that, that, that kids have always engaged in and how these kids uh, uh, or these kind of things uh, can now have a, a recorded permanency out there in the cyber world for the whole world to see and hear, how is that not just way too heavy a burden in and of itself for the average kid to bear? Yeah, yeah. And the, and the part that we haven't talked about a little bit, too, is the sense of, He's empty, right? I call it the empty kid, the kid who has no core identity and that, I, that hole in the soul, that emptiness is being filled now by, you know, back in the day, it used to be filled by, you know, mentors and parents and family right. and religious supports. Now it's being filled by not just pop culture, but it's being filled by digital content. Exactly. I, I know we have limited time, but I'm working on a, I'm testifying as an expert witness right now on a really horrible uh, capital murder trial in Palm Beach, Florida, and it's, uh, you know, it's on all the news. I'm not going to mention the name of the case because it's an active case that's going to trial in two months, but it was a 17-year-old who was such an empty vessel, and he was a YouTube kid. He would become whatever he watched on YouTube that shaped his identity because he had no core identity. So two years ago, progressive liberal, because all he watched on YouTube 24-7 was progressive liberal content, and okay. And then uh, a few months later, he watched a documentary about the Holocaust and Ellie Wiesel and Knight. And because he watched that, the YouTube algorithm started force-feeding him Holocaust-denying videos and white supremacist videos. And, mm. and all of a sudden, he morphed into a white supremacist. And then, a few months later, he happened to watch a documentary about the conflict in Syria. And because he watched that, they started the YouTube algorithm, which is an AI soulless, non-human filtered algorithm started pumping him with 
ISIS recruitment videos. Yeah. So within three months, he became an ISIS extremist and committed a pretty horrible, well, uh, he had a one childhood friend that was concerned about him and asked him to come to his little brother's birthday party. He had a little 13-year-old brother. This kid was 17 at the time and said, I'm concerned about you. You're, you're stuck in this basement all day watching YouTube. Come to my little kid brother's birthday party. And he goes to the birthday party. And, of course, all the kids there were 13. And there were, like, other 13-year-olds who were talking about uh, pop culture and pop music. And right away, he, his brain lit up. These are infidels. And when they all went to sleep that night, he got up at 2 o'clock in the morning, watched mm. two more hours of YouTube decapitation videos, mm. of ISIS uh, decapitation videos, and went and murdered the 13-year-old birthday boy. Oh, boy. The mother of the boy came up the stairs. He stabbed her 31 times. He stabbed the brother 25 times. The mother and the brother survived, but the 13-year-old birthday boy didn't survive. And they're claiming an insanity defense that this young, yeah. empty shell of a young man was brainwashed by his digital content and became this, this monster, yeah. essentially. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's an extreme case. That's an extreme case, sure. but it's, it's indicative of so many of our young people are so shaped and influenced by what they watch. Well, listen, how far short of an extreme case are you willing to have your kid go through? I mean, we've had two kids. I don't know if you're familiar with the rock band, uh, the Insane Clown Posse, but uh, yeah, they got yeah, a whole yeah. following. We've, we had two two kids at Shepherd's Hill who were planning, they had it all plotted out because of what the same, insane clown posse told them to do through their somehow exactly. community. They're going to kill their parents. I mean, are you kidding me? And, you know, our listeners, they don't think this stuff can go on. You know, they just don't see it. I challenge our listeners to go to, go to the, the Internet and, and, and watch a video called uh, Sort of Don't Know Nothing. Sort of Don't Know Nothing. Just Google Google that. Sort of Don't Know Nothing. And you'll see the classic example of, of, of a it, – it, it is a caricature, but – it's not too far away from uh, how a lot of these kids are conducting their affairs and doing life. And it's scary, but we've gotten so desensitized to it that uh, we're thinking this is just part of growing up. This is how kids are supposed to respond. We're in deeper doo-doo than anybody realizes. And uh, I'm glad you realize it. I'm glad you're doing what you're doing. And Rich has given me the skunk eye. We are out of time. <laughs> I am so sorry. We are. And by the way, if you watch that video Trace mentioned, just beware of what YouTube may start sending you afterwards. We... <laughs> we, we want to claim no uh, no affiliation with YouTube or anything that they may do. Dr. Carderis, it's always a, a joy to have you with us, and we appreciate the work you do. We appreciate the truth you bring to the conversation, and thanks so much for being with us again this time. Absolutely. Great. Thank you both so much for having me. And our guest on today's program has been Dr. Nicholas Carderis. He's the Chief Clinical Officer at Maui Recovery in Hawaii, Omega Recovery in Austin, Texas, and The Launch House in New York. And he's author of the books Glow Kids and How Plato and Pythagoras Can Save Your Life. You can learn more about his work at drcardaris.com. That's D-R-K-A-R-D-A-R-A-S, drcardaris.com. And you'll find his books wherever you buy books. And, of course, you'll find us online at LicensedToParent.org. Please remember that the work we do here on Licensed to Parent is just an extension of the work done every day inside the gates of Shepherd's Hill Academy, our year-long Christ-centered residential program for troubled teens. 
It's our goal to export some of what we've learned so that you can be more intentional as a parent and with God's help, avoid the need for a residential program for one of your kids. You can help our work continue though through your tax deductible gifts to licensed to parent. Residential programs are quite expensive and your gift can make it possible for families who can't afford residential care to get the help they need. You can give securely online when you visit us at LicensedToParent.org and click the Donate button and thanks in advance. Our guest coordinator on Licensed to Parent is Daniel Fazina. Our technical producer is Carl Peets. For Trace Embry, I'm Rich Rosl, inviting you to tell a fellow parent about us and then join us again next time to renew your License to parent. And remember, folks, if you don't train your children, somebody else or something else will. God bless you. See you next time.